Welcome to the How We Treat Colon and Rectal Cancer podcast, presented by the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber in Boston. Join us as we review some of the more complicated colon and rectal cancer cases and discuss the treatment decisions with leading medical experts in the colorectal cancer field. We're here at the Bermuda Cancer Center and with uh, two, a surgeon and a uh, radiation slash medical oncologist. So why don't you guys introduce yourselves and we'll then uh, talk a little bit about colorectal cancer and colorectal cancer treatment on Bermuda. So, so yeah, good morning. So my name's um, Chris Fosker or Dr. Fosker and I'm a clinical oncologist, which is the British term for when you train in both radiation oncology and medical oncology. So I did most of my well, all of my undergraduate training and most of my postgraduate training in the UK, in a St. James's University Hospital in the north of England. I also did a postgraduate fellowship in Princess Margaret Hospital in Toronto, and then ended up in Bermuda three years ago, so April 2015. My wife is Bermudian, so I had a connection here from about 2003. Uh, so visited over a number of years, looked at the cancer service from about 2007, started to meet some people, and then eventually moved across here in 2015. So you do both medical and uh, radiation oncology and we don't have that model in the US and so uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah so it's um, almost unique now to the UK and actually before I left the UK there was a lot of discussion whether we should follow the rest of the world and completely divide because like so many areas of medicine the complexity is increasing and there was a <coughs> question could we maintain a high enough level of expertise in both sides um, but the agreement was that we should carry on, perhaps reduce the numbers and divide. So you, you have radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, and clinical oncologists in the middle. Because as well as the increasing complexity, there's an increasing amount of crossover, more concurrent chemo radiation going on, more interesting and novel therapies using both radiation and chemotherapy. Yeah. So it's quite hard. Um, but I think, it's, <laughs> I think it is very useful being able to, but certainly in the unique setting of such a tiny population, isolated healthcare, um, I've ended up being in quite a useful position being able to cross cover both areas. Yeah. And then how did you arrive on Bermuda? <laughs> well, I'm from Germany. My name is Dr. Westweber. I'm here now for five, no, six years now. And um, long story, how German ends up in Bermuda, I told you yesterday. Yeah. There was a German surgeon in the 90s for laparoscopic cholecystectomies, and then he brought Dr. Tuit in my colleague and then I followed, well, six years ago. I did my whole training in Germany. I'm a general surgeon, endovisceral surgeon, that's an extra step then after you finish general surgery. We have five general surgeons here in Bermuda mm -hmm. and that's basically it. So uh, Dr. Warner presented some numbers yesterday that you have had over five years 180 new cancer diagnoses and uh, colorectal cancer diagnoses. And you were telling me earlier that it's a whole mix. There's, you're, you're seeing sometimes people who are coming at, at very advanced stage and now with a little bit more screening early stage. What, what's the unique population or presentation of the patients here on Bermuda? Well. As you said, we sometimes have patients that are not compliant with screening at all, and you see really advanced cancers, which I rarely saw in Germany. 
And on the other hand, we have a completely mixed picture. You see patients who are following the screening and you have early cancers, so we're doing the whole range here. Yeah, yeah. And, and he said the incidence is up higher than it's like 52 per 100,000 versus the American population is somewhere in the... It's about 40. 40, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sadly, um, considering our size, you'd hope with a small number of people, with a small number of population, that we'd have incredibly good data because there shouldn't be too many people missed. Um, but with the tumor registry being voluntary, so a non-mandated system, we worry that um, some cancers are missed. But we, when we do look at like data, there are some unusual spikes, but colorectal is one where we are above where you'd expect for our population size. Yeah. Whether that's um, the racial divide, um, because we know we have a higher percentage of Afro-Caribbean race here in Bermuda than in the US when you compare it along those lines. But even then, as Dr. Warner was saying yesterday, the US Afro-Caribbean ratio is about 50 and we're at 52 per 100,000. So again, we're above that. Um, so the demographic split here is about 60-40 black-white, if you're very crude with the numbers. So it's challenging to know. I mean, again, we know we have an obesity problem in Bermuda, like a lot of places in the world. We have very high levels of diabetes, and whether it's that, the lifestyle that drives the higher numbers, it's difficult to say. Again, being a small population, you'd expect small numbers, but you'd also expect a big variation, you know, the confidence interval of where our actual numbers fall is always going to be wide. Yeah, and so um, tell me a little bit about the radiation center because it seems that before this, where you could maybe take care of colon cancer and then give chemo if indicated, but patients who needed radiation really for any disease had to go off island. So what's the story that now this is this radiation unit's now here? Yeah, so we're nine months old in terms of the radiation unit. So we opened last May. And it's made a huge difference. Um, so when I came across, as I say, three years ago, so I worked for two years mainly as a medical oncologist, but working as a kind of clinical lead to get the radiation unit set up. And before I moved here, you could look at some of the numbers about the amount of people being referred away for radiation. And you could see that the numbers weren't as high as you'd expect. And the assumption was, was that financial restriction, health restriction, travel restriction, and it was difficult to know, but it was very darkly striking when I got here. A lot of it was financially driven, and that was really hard to practice medicine, where you knew you had a good treatment, but you had a patient in front of you who couldn't afford to go away and get it. So we were seeing, looking at the overall population, we were seeing about 80 or 90 patients going overseas a year for radiation. And if you compared our population to the US, you'd actually expect that to be in the region of 160 to 180. So about 60 or 70 people a year missing out. And using the rectal cancer scenario, I saw some patients who would have stage three rectal cancer, so you'd want to give them neoadjuvant chemo radiation and then surgery, but they'd often end up having neoadjuvant chemotherapy right. because they couldn't get away for radiation. So you were stuck and put in a really challenging situation medically to know what the right answer was. Right. Um, because what you were used to being able to deliver wasn't available to the patient. So since we've opened, we've actually had an unusual spike of rectal cancers. I think we've seen, I've seen nine in the first nine months. Um, so it's been a real advance to just be able to talk to them about the full pathway. Um, so having patients come through here and certainly Boris and I have had a number of joint patients where they've had their chemo radiation, had their surgery, and then they come back to me for the chemotherapy, and they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. 
Are there any, I mean, the, the hospital looks like you have everything you need. So from a surgical point of view, are there any compromises you have to make in any way for uh, doing a low anterior resection or an APR or something like that? But the hospital is, our new partner is three years old and we have the latest operating room equipment and technologies. But compared to Germany, we have exactly the same um, equipment available here. Yeah. And there's no limitations. And as I mentioned to you, yes, to you yesterday, our, our approach here for colorectal cancer is a single port. Mm -hmm. That's our standard. And um, we have everything here. Yeah. yeah. On that, um, is there um, a group of five of you here, is there, if a rectal cancer comes in, does it tend to go to one or two of you? Uh, well, yeah, we are close connected. So if there is a difficult cancer, it's always two of the surgeons who are operating. Yeah. And it comes to single port, we kind of introduced that here five years ago. Um, the ones who were not so experienced always had were paired with an experienced single port surgeon. Yeah. Just to train them and now it's, it became our standard. Yeah. Yeah. So what unique um, sort of problems do you have being, uh, you're close to the U.S. East Coast by flight, but it's a flight. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any particular problem? I mean, the world is so small now, electronically you can get a lot of information, but what, what's a unique problem that you would love to solve? Um, I think it's a unique problem, but I don't think we can solve it, and it is that isolation. Mm -hmm. So what struck me coming over from Leeds, so the Leeds Institute of Oncology is the largest cancer centre in Europe. So I was used to having colleagues everywhere. And it didn't really dawn on me until I'd moved here how much you learn in the corridor, how much you learn from having casual conversations. So you may be in clinic, um, but you wouldn't be the only consultant, you're the only staff in clinic. So if you had a difficult case, you might pop your head out the corridor uh, and spot a colleague and you just go, I'm a bit stuck here, you know, what am I doing, what should I go, where should I go from here? Or even walking down one of those long corridors between inpatients and something will be playing on your mind and you see someone walking to you and you'd say, oh, yeah, hey Rob, what do you do here? And you kind of bounce ideas off. And it was that informal learning and reassurance that is completely absent here. Um, I think the other challenge is you've gone, well certainly I've gone, from that kind of classical medical specialist training where you're at the point of the triangle, at the top point, and people are referring cases into you, and you're seeing one area, the concept of specialty. So you get very familiar with seeing the same thing over and over again. As you know, medicine is a lot about routine and repetition. Yeah. Whereas here with the small numbers, you rarely see the same thing. So I would sit down in a clinic back in the UK, and during the clinic, I would never open up a journal. I would never double-check things, because you're confident that your knowledge is up-to-date and it's correct. Whereas now I'm here, I think certainly every single new patient, even a lot of my follow-up patients, I reopen the NCCN guidelines or the NHS guidelines. I'll often do a literature review before that patient walks in. And it might be something that I used to be confident about, but you lose that certainty that you're up-to-date because you're spread much more thinly than you used to be. Yeah. And it's not to say it's the wrong way to do or a bad way to do medicine, but you have to relearn your information channels. You have to kind of relearn and retrust. So 
I've had to have my techniques and my reading of literature kind of updated and work out where I'm going to look to double check this. And then you back it up with that network. So as um, you're aware, we've got a collaboration agreement with the Brigham and Women's from a radiation point of view. So every radiation case I do is reviewed um, by the Brigham specialist. So I do the see the patient, they check the notes, I do the contouring, they check the contouring, and then the plan's done overseas. Yeah. So certainly in radiation oncology, it lends itself to that online collaboration. But I imagine, obviously, there's not really an equivalent for surgery. Uh, well, you're, you're right. The challenging part is the isolation here. Mm-hmm. And most of the time when you're on call and you have to make decisions, you're alone. You don't have any backup. you do not in a big university setup where you can call your professor if you have to. So you're always alone. That's, that's one challenging part. And the other thing is, from a surgical point of view, you have to be or you have to learn to become an all-rounder because you do not have neurosurgery, you don't have vascular surgery permanently on the island, so everything what comes in, if it's a ruptured AAA in the night or a subdural hematoma, you have to deal with it, which is challenging here. And um, sometimes we're covering ENT and urology as well, if if there's no manpower on the island, that's the most challenging part. In terms of backup, I always keep my my <laughs> foot in the door in Germany. I on and off go there and operate there and keep all my old contacts. Um, just for a short phone call with my old professor and so on and so on, just to to get a confirmation what my idea is because I'm always alone. So that is that is challenging. And I have to say that was the my first week here in Bermuda. Finished on the Friday morning. We have a tumor board. Uh, which is in UK terms an MDT, a multidisciplinary team meeting, but the concept where you have all the specialists in the room discussing cases. Right. And I was very much used to that being site-specific. So the tumour boards I left, you'd have one for urology, one for head and neck cancer, one for lung cancer. And I sat there that first Friday morning, and we would have discussed six or seven cases, and there would have been five or six people in the room, and every case was so dramatically different. It really struck me how daltingly challenging it was going to be to maintain that knowledge set to be able to contribute to those conversations. And it, again, you turn around the way you think and the way you learn very quickly, but I still think, I would say this is the hardest clinical job I've had. Yeah. Well, you can be deep, uh, and, but not broad, but you can yeah. also be broad and not deep. There are strengths to, to both. Yeah. Um, but the MDT, um, is something that also can be electronic nowadays. Uh, you can FaceTime people all across the world. So that's the, that's the nice thing in terms of, like you, you can mm. yeah, just absolutely. call people in Germany, call people in the U.S. or the U.K. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we do that even in Boston. Yeah, you know, to, absolutely. Yeah. To uh, check with people uh, either, you know, by text in particular. He said, would you, can you call me about this or that? And then it starts a conversation, so... Well, this is great. I want to thank you guys for coming in for the podcast. Anything else you want to add about um, uh, the Cancer Center or uh, practicing on Bermuda? I just think it's been a really interesting few years to be able to kind of open up the radiation unit. It's been a wonderful experience um, and being able to kind of complete that path. You know, now the cancer patients can have everything they need here in Bermuda. And doing it with a model of collaboration. So the Cancer Centre working with the hospital, the Cancer Centre working with Brigham and Women's, um, working closely with the surgeons. It's been a really enjoyable few years. Yeah.
Anything you want to add uh, before we close? Yeah. So, well, thank you very much. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Bye -bye. Yeah, thank you.